strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Today, we are welcoming our brother in Christ, Daryl Harrison, who, by the way, Brother Harrison, your podcast, Just Thinking, oh my goodness, is so good, so dense, and it is educational, and it's profound, and so anyway, I just uh, wanted our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. You are just one of the amazing Christian theologian leaders of our time and have written books. And, and I, in fact, I think I'm going to even quote from one of the things you wrote just recently on, uh, on critical race theory and those issues, but you're just well-known and profoundly deep on the deep theological doctrinal questions of the day. Well, thank you so much. First of all, I really appreciate being with you both, uh, Penny, Annabelle, thanks for having me on. It really is an honor for me to be with you here today, and I just praise God for this opportunity, so thank you. So joining me is um, Annabelle Rutledge, who is our National Director for our Young Women for America program, and I just thought it was really important as we delve into the issue of critical race theory. I think there is so much being said right now and so much misunderstanding within the church and on college campuses about mm-hmm. this issue. So I just want to start it out with a very general question that is, can you define for our listeners, just the average listener, the average mom, what is critical race theory? What is it that everybody's talking about? Yeah, that's a fundamental question, Penny. And to be honest with you, believe it or not, there's not just one answer for that. I know. (laughs) Because on its face, someone would see the term critical race theory and say, well, number one, it's analytical. And then number two, it's about race and as a focus, and it's neither of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just to give your your audience a little bit of background, critical race theory, at least as it relates to it having a footprint and a foothold in America, dates back to the 1980s, when a group of Marxist academics and legal scholars got together at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin, to strategize around how they could leverage the original doctrine of critical theory, which came out of uh, Marxist Germany in in the 1930s. How can we leverage those principles here in America to make and create a more intersectionally equitable society? Now, when I say intersectionally intersectionally equitable, here's where uh, the term race is uh, basically debunked. Because what critical race theory really wants to do is leverage Marxist principles of social equality across various categories of people. So it's not just about race, it's about race, LGBTQ, it's about uh, disabled individuals, it's about Native Americans, it's about all kinds of socio-cultural and political categories of people so as to deconstruct a traditional Judeo-Christian capitalist free market society here in America, and then reconstruct America as a uh, a Marxist social egalitarian um, culture whereby um, everyone is equal. But when you, the deeper you delve into critical race theory, you, you understand that equality has nothing to do with it. 
Right, because some of the animals are more equal than others, of course. Exactly. Um, it, it, it's like, and I'm going to throw it to you next, Annabelle, but it's like, it, it, as I've thought through it, and I, I was listening again to your podcast yesterday, it, again, it's like you, it's like trying to nail jello to the wall, it right? And, and your quote yesterday, you said, I thought this was so great. You said it's the opposite of analytical. Yes. It is dogma beyond the reach of evidence and logic. Right. But there's no like metrics in which you can ever exactly. arrive at equality because it's not right. really even about equality. It's about equity. And this, there's a difference between equality. Equality means equal opportunity. Equity means equal outcomes, which again is Marxism and socialism. And so, uh, but you can't ever get there because now we have a whole cottage industry built up around yeah. making sure that we keep moving the goalposts. Right. And because a lot of people are profiting from that. Yeah. As I've said, and you've heard me say this, Penny, you've listened listen to, listen to the Just Thinking podcast. Um, the, the, the goal within critical race theory is not uh, equality. It's not. I've said this time and time again. Racism is big business in America. Racism is big business. Critical race theory and uh, a lot of folks who support that worldview um, they're writing books. They're getting paid thousands of dollars to go and host and facilitate speaking seminars throughout corporate entities around the world. So when you look at what critical race theory purports to address, which is inequalities, unfairness, systemic uh, racism, and such, the folks who propagate that worldview don't—they can't—they can't themselves say that I'm experiencing those things because they're profiting from this. These are very wealthy, very well-to-do individuals who are uh, uh, advocating and pushing a narrative that supposedly addresses the very people that they say they care about, which is the poor, the underserved, the oppressed, and things of that nature. So this is where the church must be committed to dissecting these terms and understanding the language that critical race theory theorists leverage in order to sort of lull you in to believing that this is a virtuous uh, ideology to support when it's actually not. Well, and they have trouble with that because in, in White Fragility, Robin D'Angelo had had examples of systematic racism, but they were from like the 30s, right? Or the, right. 60s, or the 60s. Like she couldn't point to anything that was recent and, and we're open to listen. Tell us tell us how we can do better, but it- Penny, you it just hurt. nailed it. You just nailed it. This is what critical race theory does. Critical race theory goes back and sort of subjectively takes um, historical, especially historical legal adjudication. So legal decisions that have been rendered legally in the courts, even all the way up to the Supreme Courts, and then they extrapolate that. And this is where the critical comes in. Critical and critical race theory does not mean objectively analytical. So there are no metrics, there are no objective metrics or benchmarks by which a critical race theory would say, well, yeah, let's look at Brown versus Board of Education and right. see if they got that right. They will look at Brown versus Board of, Board of Education, for example, even though that decision benefited black people in terms of having access to, to education, the critical race theorists will, will, will sort of cherry pick that and then, then on a presuppositional basis, no evidence, no proof whatsoever, they will say, well, today in 2021, America is still as racist as it was in 1954. Mm -hmm. And then they argue that to, to, uh, to, uh, to contend against that or to uh, propose a counter narrative defines you as racist. So the ad hominem, their, their response is to, to, to resort to ad hominem attacks 
where they cannot defend their, their rationale or their logic on its face. So they attack you for daring to confront uh, their rationale. I just wanted to kind of go back a little bit. We were talking about the people that listen to this podcast were wanting to really just address people who might be coming from a place of not having listened to your podcast or not having done a lot of research. And you mentioned the word worldview and that's so important and how this is, you know, it, it completely upends what a biblical worldview would be. Is it appropriate or right to say that it replaces the idea of sinners versus saved with oppressed versus oppressor? And if that's true, what that looks like and what worldview stems from that basis? Yeah, Annabelle, your question, intrinsic to your question are, are two things. Number one, the importance of professing believers to have a biblical worldview. And by worldview, I mean that scripture applies to and influence, influences every aspect of your existence in this world. Everyone, there's no, no aspect of your life that the scriptures do not apply to. But to your question with respect to, you're actually asking a question about language. As I said earlier, what we have to do as believers is to pay attention to the language. So there is a soteriology, okay? So there is a doctrine of salvation inherent to critical race theory. But as you said, Annabelle, instead of sinners and saints or believers and unbelievers, regenerate and unregenerate, the language of critical race theory classifies, and this is where the Marxism comes in, because the critical race theory models the Marxian approach of categorizing people into uh, two primary categories, oppressed and um, oppressor. Uh, you have the uh, age-old um, uh, war of the haves versus the have-nots. And what critical race theory does, again, there is no objective definition by which they go about defining who's oppressed and who's not. It's all about what they presuppose and, and, and equality to look like and inequity to look like. And if it doesn't look like how they define it, then they'll say that that's the result of racism. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the result of systemic racism in America. So even though these historic uh, legal uh, cases have been adjudicated, that doesn't mean that there still aren't structures and institutions within America that aren't inherently racist because we still have haves and we still have have nots. And this is where we as Christians have to be theologians. I've said this repeatedly. You can't just be a reader of your Bible. You must be a student of it. Mm -hmm. And see, scripture never promises that, that the gospel is a means by which material equality can be achieved in this world. That's not even the goal of the gospel, mm -hmm. to make sure you're material, that, that, that there's material equality in this world. The goal of the gospel is to save you from, from the wrath of God. That's what the message of the gospel fundamentally is. But Annabelle, you're absolutely right. You, 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 critical race theory exchanges the language of uh, uh, sinner uh, and saint for oppressor and oppressed. And they say, well, the salvation you really need is equality for everyone across society. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we see this virtue signaling coming in, right? right. That 
that the oppressed are fighting this battle and using their voices, right? Because they're trying to reach their salvation by no longer being oppressed. And those who fall into that category of oppressor are trying to attain their own salvation by lifting themselves above right. being that oppressor. It's but being really, the savior, yeah. by the way, the white savior. Yeah. Exactly. Right? And what we all are, we're, they're all just hamsters on a hamster wheel, spinning right. endlessly, getting nowhere really fast. Yeah, I call that the, uh, I use a similar metaphor and I call it the ethical treadmill. You're getting on the treadmill and you're trying, you're trying to, so the, so the, the oppressed are trying their best to work their way uh, upwards. You know, you, you're going to ramp up the speed on the treadmill while the oppressor, as, especially as, as, as I see you two uh, women here today, as, as, as two white women, you are by virtue of your ethnicity an oppressor. So by your very existence within critical race theory, you're an oppressor, even though you yourself may not measure or categorize yourself as someone who's being materially um, 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 advanced or overwhelmingly materially wealthier than uh, what they categorize as oppressed people. But, Hold on, I thought women not... were oppressed. Wait a minute, I thought yeah, we were, yeah, even yeah. though we're 51% of the population, I thought the men held, had, us, had us down, right? <laughs> we have an yeah. intersectionality problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, see and, and you guys are bringing up in a humorous way, how you can, how, how a critical race theory contradicts itself. Right. Because I mentioned earlier, it really is um, uh, an intersectional worldview that has really very little, race is just one, you know, you guys know I, I hate this, that term, right. but as, it, as, it, as it's used within critical race theory, race is just one category mm -hmm. of critical race theory. You've got gender theory, you've got queer theory, you've got, uh, we've even got health uh, equity theory. We've got uh, environmental theory. All these, all these are sort of um, uh, tentacles of, of the broader critical theory ideology that came out of Marxist Germany in the 1930s. I mean, Marxist, Marxism was such a threat in Germany that Adolf Hitler shut down the Frankfurt School where critical race theory originated. Now, if Hitler shuts you down, you know there's got to be a problem. Hey girl, if you're enjoying this conversation with Daryl Harrison, then you have to save the date for our Young Women for America leadership training happening this summer in sunny Tampa, Florida. Daryl will be just one of the many remarkable speakers slated to join us August 26th to the 28th. Applications are now open on concernedwomen.org. This is an opportunity for young women across the country to come together, build friendships and community while learning valuable leadership principles from the top leaders of the conservative movement, all while growing deeper in your faith. Applications close July 16th, so apply now on concernedwomen.org and make sure you join us. Welcome back to Concerned Women Today. We are talking to our brother in Christ, a great theologian uh, and one of the, the founders and great voices on Just Thinking podcast about the issue of critical race theory. Brother Daryl, I would really appreciate it as a, as a theologian, a deep thinker. Um, talk to me about how good and well-intentioned in many cases, not always, but I think in many cases, Christians, particularly white evangelicals who recognize that we are sinners, right? We're all sinners. Racism exists, the hatred of each other's, you know, ethnicity or differences exist because we're sinners or, or maybe just unkindness. Maybe it's not outright hatred, but it's something that, you know, 
deep down we know is wrong or maybe we don't know but regardless it's true just like sexism exists it's real because we're sinners but it doesn't only know one group right i mean sin permeates every part of the church it permeates every race ethnicity gender uh, and when I say gender, I mean sex. Right. <laughs> and um, which, which is the which is the proper word, sex versus gender. It's that's true. That's word. true. But but I use those two interchangeably because I refuse to surrender on that. Right. Point. Exactly. Um, I, I don't think there's seventy two genders. I think there's two, mm-hmm. uh, and there's two sexes. But um, all that to say, I believe there are some well intentioned people who feel the hurts of of others and wanted to salve those wounds, but the way they did it, and, and I, it happened here locally in the Washington DC area where I saw local pastors close their churches. These are big mega churches during the pandemic, refused to reopen their churches where I know people who attended those churches were struggling so yeah. deeply with depression and uh, need for community and spiritual well-being but yet managed to go out to Black Lives Matter march, which you know, you've right, you've right. said a lot about that as well. So talk to me about that. What do you say to those brothers and sisters and pastors? Wow, Penny, there is so many layers uh, to uh, what you're presenting here. I'm gonna try to be as succinct as possible. I think number one, um, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and assume you both are very familiar with what's been happening here at Grace Community Church here in LA over the past several months and uh, the decision by Pastor uh, MacArthur and the elders to remain open. And we're very uh, grateful for that. Uh, so so uh, please continue to pray for uh, Dr. MacArthur and, uh, and the elders at Grace Church. But uh, one thing this pandemic has re- revealed is that there is much, much confusion within the, uh, um, the evangelical church about number one, what the church is, why it exists, and who grants the church authority to exist? Who grants the, who, from, from whom does the church as an entity get its authority to exist in the world? Okay, and this is the argument that Grace Community Church has been putting forth as it's, as it's being sued by the governor of California, by the mayor of LA, LA County. No, we don't get your authority, we don't get our authority from the government. Our authority comes from the one who founded the church, who is Jesus Christ. Now, at the risk of offending someone, what what, what many churches in deciding to acquiesce to these government mandates and shutting their doors, what I fear they've done is given the government Mm -hmm. a roadmap for doing it again, for coming up with some reason to do it again, because the the one, the, the the main enemy of government is God. That's right. The main the main enemy of secularism is the gospel. Okay, so I would just say with with, with in the spirit of Ephesians four four thirteen four fifteen, speaking the truth in love, mm-hmm. is uh, to professing believers out there. Ask yourself number one, why are you a Christian to begin with? I mean, apart from God's sovereign work to regenerate your heart and to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, what do you think being a Christian means? Being a Christian means a lot more than you going to heaven when you die, Mm -hmm. okay? Being a Christian means being a witness, and that word witness literally means martyr. It means being a witness 
for Jesus Christ right here and now in the world. And just as we read in, uh, in, the, uh, in the Gospels and Acts, where the apostles and early uh, first century church believers were persecuted for their beliefs, we shouldn't expect anything different here in, tw in 2021. So we must be courageous, brave, bold, not, uh, uh, not uh, confrontational in a sinful way. But we must be courageous and be willing to bear our cross as a witness for the gospel and defy government tyranny when they are trying to use a supposed pandemic. Uh, and we see it still today going on egregiously in Canada. Right, a couple of our brothers are in prison, right? A couple of pastors have been in prison in Canada for refusing. Throwing pastors in prisons as, as if they were rapists or murderers, handcuffing people in the street. This, this is, uh, but this, this is, we know our, if we know our gospels well enough, then we know that this is what, this is what Christ prophesied would happen mm -hmm. in the latter days. So I would just encourage your listeners to be courageous. And I want to speak specifically to your parents, uh, Penny, who are listening to you, uh, to this right now. In critical theory, uh, academia has always been the pipeline through which these Marxist ideals have been uh, propagated across history. It's happening right now within America, but it's more overt, I think. When, uh, when Adolf Hitler shut down the Frankfurt School in uh, the late 1930s in Germany, uh, the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory relocated to Columbia University in New York. And one thing Virgil and I have reiterated on our podcast is that uh, uh, you can go on Amazon and do a search on any book on critical race theory. The, uh, most of the resources on critical race theory are written by academics for academics. Now there's a reason for that because it's at your upper echelon academic institutions where you have uh, professors and instructors and, and, and administrators who already believe this. They already believe this. They already, they, they're Marxists already. They're socialists already. They're communists already. So now what we're seeing, Penny, and you alluded to this earlier, now we're seeing it being pushed at the lower levels of academia. It's now uh, being, uh, uh, filtered through your undergraduate institutions and now high school, middle school, and now kindergarten. The entire, matter of fact, not to politicize the issue, but it cannot be ignored that the Biden-Harris administration, pretty much every policy decision they're making yes. is a decision based on critical theory. Yes. But you won't recognize True. that if you don't know what critical theory is. That's right. So for your parents, you have to get involved, attend your PTA meetings, visit your uh, your children's uh, schools, sit in and audit those classes that they're going, especially the social studies classes, even the math classes, even math has been kidnapped by critical theory now to where two plus two equals five. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it, it, I'm sorry, it is racist to suggest that a child simply because of his or her skin color cannot learn math. Right. I mean, why are they not furious over that? I, I just, I just, it's just nonsensical to me. Let me answer that question for you. Again, at the risk of offending, uh, which I don't mean to do, <clears throat> but we have a culture even within um, uh, evangelicalism today where public schools are basically treated as glorified daycare centers. Mm -hmm. So we have, we have parents, uh, mothers and fathers who, in order to maintain a certain standard of living, they look at public schools as somewhere where I can just drop my kid off. I can just drop my child off at public school. 
I'll know they'll get something to eat. I'll know that they'll have a roof over their head. I'll know where they are. I know they'll be protected. While I go out, go out here and pursue my secular goals or dreams or, 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 or whatever those passions may be, nothing wrong with setting goals and objectives uh, per se. But when you know that school boards, entire school boards locally are promoting critical race theory to the degree that they're asking children, especially white children, to respond on exams and, re and, re and write essays on rejecting their white privilege. And then on the flip side of that, they're lowering the bar so low, uh, the achievement bar is so lowered now for black children that pretty soon they won't have to know any math. They won't have to know how to speak proper grammar. It won't matter because that's racist in, us, in order for, for us to challenge these students to learn. And what's ironic here, uh, Penny, about what, something you said earlier about it being racist, you go back to uh, the history of slavery in America and the black abolitionists mm -hmm. who worked for the abolition right. of slavery, no one would ever have advocated for standards to be so low to where they could, a, a child could not leverage their God-given faculties mm -hmm. to achieve. This is not equality. This, this totally shreds uh, the fact that each of us is created in the, image, in the image of God and that God has endowed us mm -hmm. with certain capacities and abilities and talents to be able to achieve in this country and anywhere in the world if we just apply those faculties. I, I gotta just tease one thing out here. And I think it, this is important. Let's remember our history. <laughs> the yeah. way they kept minority children, minorities down, slaves down, was by denying them education. Right. 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 Not teaching them to read. It was illegal right. to teach mm -hmm. your a slave to read. People right. were arrested for that. And right. um, and so I I just feel like, you know, again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. But, but it's real. When you deny education and opportunity and ability, you keep people down. Right. You're not doing them a favor. You are hurting them. And so Betsy DeVos, God bless her, former Secretary of Education, yes. has really mm -hmm. leaned into this moment because we've all mm -hmm. been doing this virtual learning thing. Mm -hmm. That school choice, this is the time for school mm -hmm. choice. You should right. be demanding in your state that your governor, that your legislature, allow the money that's going to the public school to instead go to your individual students so you can choose the kind of learning you want them to do. Mm -hmm. There should not be a situation in which your children are shamed because of the body that God put them in, mm -hmm. because God chose your family right. for your child. Right. You should not be shamed because and told that you can't learn something because your family's poor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I come from Appalachia. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. God no one told me that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I'd still be back there, but um, yeah, you, I'm you, here you, because you, God called me here, but also because I had teachers who held me to account and mm -hmm. made me learn things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it would be really hard to find a more impoverished uh, geographic area than the Appalachian region, uh, right. uh, even today in 2021. But Penny, you made, you made a great point there. Coming out of uh, Reconstruction and, and even before, the two things um, those who were in power tried to prevent slaves from acquiring was number one, knowledge, mm -hmm. and number two, weapons. 
So they, they, they constructed this entire right. institution of slavery to deprive them of both of those things. And you make such an excellent point because now you have, um, again, not to politicize this, but you've got a, in America today, a black electorate in this nation where more than nine out of every 10 black voters votes for the, a, a Democrat uh, candidate or they're aligned with the Democrat party. And from a historical standpoint, that really boggles my mind because it was the Democrat Party in America that tried to keep slavery legal, even after the Emancipation Proclamation was issued. That's right. This is why you needed the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and the 15th Amendment, because uh, white supremacist Democrats refused to acknowledge the um, um, Emancipation Proclamation. They refused to acknowledge uh, even freed Black people as equals, and that carried on over into the civil rights era in the 1960s. So for a period of 100 years, you had Democrats, particularly in the South, not but not exclusively in the South, you had Democrats still trying to uh, uh, oppress Black people so as to uh, prohibit them from taking advantage of the freedoms that had been availed to every other ethnic group in this country, even after amendments to the Constitution were passed, even after the Civil Rights Act, even after the Voting Rights Act, and yet we have nine out of every 10 Black voters still today supporting the political party that oppressed them for almost four generations. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that to me, that's just dumbfounding. I just cannot understand that. Well, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, and I, I really appreciate you pointing out, you know, the importance of, um, of I, idea, your ideology matching your voting habits. Yes, that's <laughs> no. what we mean by worldview. That's pro, an example that's right. of worldview. If, you, if mm -hmm. you are pro-life, you need to vote, vote for pro-life candidates, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. the Democratic Party, by the way, has kicked them out of their party. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, when mm -hmm. I first got to Washington, there was a large group or a, a, a certainly a reasonably sized group of members of Congress who were uh, Democrats, much of them in the South, who were pro-life and systematically, if we're going to about systemic mm -hmm. problems, they were pushed out mm -hmm. of their party. And it all sort of came to a head when uh, Governor Casey, who was a pro-life governor from Pennsylvania, his son now serves, and unfortunately, it's not nearly as pro-life as his dad, but um, was denied a, a, a part in the platform at the DNC, at the Democratic Convention, because he's pro-life, he couldn't be a, a part of that. And so now their platform is very clear on their extreme position on a abortion, which is any reason, any number, at any point in pregnancy, all paid for by the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. But I want to give Annabelle the, the last question, and then I'll, I'll close this up. Yeah, well, I, I mean, a lot talking about this can feel kind of doom and gloom and our schools are falling apart and our government's falling apart. But as Christians, we have hope. I mean, the Bible talks about the fact that we have been told how to love mercy, how to act mm -hmm. justly and walk humbly with our God, which by the way, I think critical race theory is largely lacking in any humility at all, but that's yes. for a different time. But for Penny kind of touched on it for young people and, and not young people, there is this push to be compassionate. And we're in this, this war almost to show our compassion. We see this virtue signaling coming out of it, but we know that anything, anything good divorced from the gospel is not good. So right. compassion divorced from the gospel is not good. So right. for young people, for old people, like who are feeling this push that this is how you can be compassionate. But we know as Christians that the Bible gives us 
all the keys to how to love your neighbor, to be compassionate. And so if you can share keeping racial tensions in mind, but of course, you know, exclusive of critical race theory, how do we have that compassionate response to this issue and this problem? Yeah, or hurt brother, right? Yeah. Hurt brother or sister. And we're, and those come in all different shades and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's uh, either in first or second Corinthians where the apostle Paul gives instructions to the church on how to treat widows. Uh, but uh, Paul emphasizes in giving those instructions, he says, you need to make sure that the, that the person is actually a widow. So there were, even in those instructions on how to care for widows and orphans, there was context, okay? Um, The gospel already speaks clearly to how the believer is to show compassion. We have this from Jesus himself in John 13, verse 34 and 35, where he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing about the one another is that, and the apostle Paul emphasizes this as well, that the gospel teach us to exhibit these characteristics and attributes to the body of Christ first. So within the church first, and then we work ourselves out. So right. as believers, our responsibility is sort of hierarchical, right? We, we meet the needs and res- the legitimate needs and responsibilities of those within the body first. And then we go outside the church to see what needs we can meet there. But again, for, uh, for the professing believer, we need to understand that ca- compassion is not salvific. Every other, listen, every other religious worldview that exists right now is compassionate. Mm-hmm. Every worldview, this, even the Quran talks about mercy and justice. Those Buddhists are very compassionate. <laughs> They're very, very compassionate. Hindus are very compassionate. Yeah. So, so compassion is not salvific. And this is what separates the gospel from every other religion, which is really just moralism. Uh, um, um, so, so critical race theory would, would have the Christian believe, well, we, uh, me, Daryl, as a black man, because I'm black, that I've suffered. Well, the truth is, I have suffered, but I've suffered at the hands of people who look like me, not not the hands of people like you, Annabella, uh, or, or you, Penny. I've never suffered at the hands of people like you. Um, I've I told the story on, on my podcast. I've been robbed at gunpoint twice in my life, uh, all, both times by a young black man. But we, from 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 from, we we, I, I say all that to say we cannot afford to get sucked in again to the language. Right. The language here of being nice, compassion, compassionate, kind, showing mercy, pursuing justice, all those terms have context to them, okay? And when you look at even what Jesus preached, Jesus healed many people, but he didn't heal everybody. As a matter of fact, I think it's in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus, uh, he actually curses one city that he went to and performed various miracles in that city, but he cursed them because they didn't believe. Mm-hmm. So the works that we may do, uh, call them good works or whatever you will, it's not for the sake of the work. So it's not for the sake of compassion. It's not for the sake of showing mercy or being kind. Uh, Paul says in, in Romans that the kindness of God is to lead you to repentance. Wow. So whatever kindness we show should be motivated out of our having repented and God having regenerated our hearts not in the uh, blanket generic sense of trying to be more moral mm-hmm. because every other religion does that. I'm sorry. I, I said, that's the hamster wheel. Or I think you said, that, that's the hamster wheel. That's exactly right. That's the hamster wheel. So we have to know uh, well enough what the gospel is and what it isn't. The gospel is not moralism. The gospel is, is not even good works. The gospel reverses that. No, we repent 
Jesus brings, uh, God brings us to faith in Christ and regenerating our heart. And out of that regeneration, uh, for what God has done for us, we perform these works, but the works themselves are not salvific. Amen. They don't save anyone. Listen, I so appreciate your time. You've been very generous. Just Thinking podcast, grab a pen, grab a pad of paper, because you're going to want to take some notes. You may even want to listen to it in chunks, because you're it's, it's what, three hours, right? It's yeah, the, cri- the Critical Race Theory episode that we did is three, yeah. uh, three and a half hours long, oh. and then we followed that up with another three-hour episode on activist theology. So take some notes, do it in portions, all of that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, my, my father, I lost my dad. He was a pastor for 51 years. He died uh, six months ago at 85. Um, And he was a pastor in East Tennessee in the 60s and 70s and well, and then Kentucky in the 80s. But, um, but what I what he taught me early on was really, you know, he wasn't trying to be ahead of his time. He just wanted everybody to love each other and us to be welcoming each other's churches and to get to know each other. And he made relationships with African American pastors in the area. And you know, they'd come to our church and preach and he'd go to theirs and our choirs would go back and forth and mm-hmm. we'd come to each other's churches. And it was like, just, it was like sort of that Billy Graham thought is, you know, the church is one, we are one in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and the verse that he taught me early on is, I think is just pretty much says it on, says it all. And you mentioned it in a piece that, that you wrote, I would uh, urge people to look up, but First um, John 2, 9, 11, which reads nine through 11 says, The one who says he is in the light yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I feel like there's so much darkness. We're trying to find morality. We're trying to find goodness of our own accord. Goodness and righteousness is only through Christ, only found at the foot of the cross. And when you lay all that down, don't pick it back up, lay it back down, keep laying it down. Every morning, his mercies are new. That's right. when you find love in your heart. That's mm-hmm. redemption. That's when you find yeah. redemption. And um, we can't work hard enough, but we can ask God to forgive us when we fail and we can just love each other. So yeah. brother Daryl, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you Thank for coming so on Concerned Women today. And we so follow him on Twitter, by the way. You've got a great Twitter game, I might add. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've so retweeted you several times. You do a great job. So God bless you and um, thank you so much. Thank you. I love y'all. Thank y'all so much. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.